Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book on beauty. What do you think of when you hear the word beauty? Engravings on the walls of ancient caves or today's fantastically intricate electronic devices? Awe-inspiring natural wonders or classic works of art? Colorful insects or the infinite starry sky? Magnificent cathedral sculptures or oil paintings sold for record prices at auction? Leonardo DiCaprio and the movie Titanic or a poster of Marilyn Monroe? Humans have sought beauty since the dawn of civilization. We have explored aesthetics since ancient Greece, trying to define beauty. But the definition of beauty keeps changing. The idea of beauty varies in different eras and from one culture to another. Every individual characterizes beauty in their own way. Painters and sculptors may define one type of beauty, while authors and poets embrace another. The concept of female beauty lauded in ancient Greek poems might have been regarded as vulgar at the time, but it was seized upon and materialized by painters and sculptors centuries later. An object regarded as beautiful in one culture may be considered unattractive in another. When we look back in history, we can see that different kinds of beauty may coexist in the same era. A consistent ideal of beauty can endure over a long period. So, what does beauty mean exactly? The book that we are unlocking today will give you the answer. This book was written by Umberto Eco, an internationally renowned authority on semiotic linguistics, philosopher, historian, and esthetician. The Cambridge History of Italian Literature claimed him the leading Italian author of the second half of the 20th century. During his lifetime, he wrote over 140 books covering diverse subjects. In this book, Eco chooses to shun arguments based on a single aesthetic theory. Instead, he walks us through a wide range of philosophical ideas and artworks, showing us what has been regarded as beautiful throughout the millennia, thus presenting a vivid account of the Western history of beauty. Up next, let's explore the major contents of this book in four parts. Part 1, Beauty in the Classical Era. Part 2, Beauty from the Middle Ages to the Renaissance. Part 3, The Beauty of Reason and Romantic Beauty. Part 4, beauty in the industrial age. In the very early culture of ancient Greece, beauty had no autonomous existence. We might also say that at least until the age of Pericles, the Greeks did not dwell on aesthetic thought and lacked a theory of beauty. During this era, beauty was always associated with ethical or moral purity. For instance, when asked the criterion for appraising beauty, the Delphic oracle replied, the most beautiful is the most just. Even though there was no definition of beauty at this time, poets had long evoked the concept. The Iliad provides an implicit justification for the Trojan War, the irresistible beauty of Helen of Troy. In the Encomium of Helen, the sophist Gorgias also writes that Helen's beauty exonerates her from the crime of causing great suffering. When Troy collapses, Menelaus swoops on his unfaithful wife to kill her. Finally, he drops his sword struck by the beauty of Helen's enchanting body. Even though male and female bodies are mentioned as beautiful here and there in the Iliad, we can't say that it reveals a conscious understanding of beauty. For archaic people, 
beauty was anything that naturally pleased them, aroused their admiration, or drew their eye. Thus, we can take it a step further and suggest that the ancient Greeks had a formative understanding of beauty. Their understanding of beauty however was mainly bound up with the expression of art and did not exist separately as an independent idea. For example, in the lyric poems of the Paeans, beauty lies in the harmony of the cosmos. In sculpture, beauty is expressed by appropriate proportions and the symmetry of the parts. In rhetoric, beauty is manifested by the correct rhythm. The age of Pericles saw sophisticated developments in the arts, especially in sculpture and painting. For instance, the famous sculpture the Discobolus or Discus Thrower originates in this period. Artists at the time emphasized the beauty of the human body. They synthesized all manner of living bodies in conformity to an ideal beauty that harmonized body and soul. In other words, what they were pursuing was a psychophysical beauty, the goodness of the soul expressed as the beauty of forms. As Sappho one of the greatest archaic Greek poets writes, for some the most beautiful thing on earth is a cavalry squadron, others say an army of foot soldiers, others again say a fleet of ships, but I think beauty is what you fall in love with. It's so easy to explain. Helen, the most beautiful of all chose the man who doused the lights of Troy, forgetful of her daughter and her parents she went far away, where Aphrodite willed, out of love for him. He who is beautiful is so for as long as he stands before us, he who is also good is good now and will always be so. Likewise, other Greek philosophers had their take on beauty. Socrates identified at least three aesthetic categories that legitimized artistic practice. These include ideal beauty which represents nature, spiritual beauty which expresses the soul through the eye, and useful or functional beauty. Plato also put forward two important concepts of beauty, beauty as the harmonious proportion between parts, and beauty as splendor. Plato argues splendor has an autonomous existence, free from its physical medium and not necessarily bound to any tangible object. For example, Socrates was notoriously ugly but radiated inner beauty. In tandem with these philosophical ideas, there are also antitheses. The Greek conception of beauty emerges against its unresolved opposite. A prevalent instance is the coexistence of Apollo, the god representing order and harmony, and Dionysus, the god of chaos and the unrestrained violation of rules. This dichotomy implies the ever-present and recurring possibility that chaos will derange beauty and harmony. Dialectic has endured as a philosophical theme in modern times. Nietzsche advanced the issue developing the problems of resolving opposites from the Greek conception of beauty. According to Nietzsche, Apollonian beauty is serene and harmonious. Conversely, Dionysiac beauty is unsettling. The Greeks privileged sight and hearing over other forms of perception. The Greeks only categorized visible forms as beautiful. Although the Greeks acknowledged that music and invisible form expressed the destructive essence of the soul. In this schema, both music and chaos were equivalent to harmony's shadow. Hence, the realm of Dionysus. So, what manner of vision in music can be called beautiful? A common-sense view can regard something well-proportioned as beautiful. It was the same for the ancient Greeks and later the Romans. Their definition of beauty encompassed the notion that the pleasantness of color always accompanies proper proportion. For instance, 
Pythagoras studied mathematical ratios of musical sounds, in other words, the proportions on which intervals are based, and the relationship between the length of a string and the pitch of a note. Actually, in ancient Greece, this idea of proportion in music was closely aligned to the laws applied in the production of beauty. You can also see the rule of proportion in architecture. The proportions that govern the relationships between the various parts of the façade of a Greek temple and the intervals between columns correspond to the same ratios that govern musical intervals. We can find such conceptions of beautiful proportions in Michelangelo Bonarotti's study for the Room of Rare Books in the Laurentian Library and Leonardo da Vinci's drawings of platonic solids. It can also be appreciated in Andrea Palladio's Villa Rotonda, the Rose Window of the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, and other Gothic architectures with a predilection for pentagonal structures. All are noble examples of architectural proportion. Sculptures and paintings that depict the human body also show principles of proportion. Consider the ancient Greek sculptor Polykletos's two masterpieces. Youth tying a headband and the spear-bearer embody all the precise rules of correct proportion between human body parts. Vitruvius, a Roman architect and the author of ten books on architecture later developed the correct proportions of the body as fractions of the entire figure, the face was to be one-tenth of the total length the head one-eighth, the length of the torso a quarter, and so on. That's all for the first part. In this part, we explored the classical era's ideals of beauty. We considered the aesthetic ideal of ancient Greece, the antithesis between Apollonian beauty and Dionysiac beauty, and the beauty of proportion. In the next section, let's explore how people's aesthetic ideas changed during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now. Dir hat dieser Podcast gefallen? Dann klicke jetzt auf Abonnieren und empfehle ihn weiter. Bleib immer auf dem Laufenden und folge uns bei Twitter, Instagram und Facebook. Mehr Podcasts findest du auf meinpodcast.de